Hello, and welcome to Brave Space for Critical Conversations podcast, where we have short and to the point discussions on challenging topics focusing on race, healthy relationships, and parenting. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories in hopes that others can take away some nugget of wisdom to further the work of becoming socially conscious and take action individually. My name is Kelly Webb, founder and principal consultant at Matching Peace. Today, I have a special guest, Dr. Carla Patton. Carla, please share as little or as much about yourself and how you identify. Well, first, I just want to thank you, Kelly, for inviting me to this beautiful and brave space. I'm going to try my best to be as brave as I can. And thank you for opening up this space um, for everyone, because I think that um, we definitely need brave spaces now more than ever and to speak safe spaces to speak the truth or our truth in the ways in which we see it because I think all truths are kind of I mean we all want the same thing right and I think when we share multiple perspectives various realities various truths you know about our lives um, I think it like builds a case for equality so, you know, I think what you're doing is wonderful. And I think that, um, and just touching on the notion of black feminism and intersectionality, one thing I love about intersectionality and this brave space that you're creating is like, it, this isn't like um, either or type statements or either or conversations and, and placing different perspectives in a hierarchy, right? This is like, and we're using and statements and um, also statements, right? Um, and I think you building a collection of stories and dialogues like further builds the case um, to further advance equality, you know, and to advance intersectionality so that ho hopefully institutions will take it on um, and not only institutions, but I mean, we can build our own institutions and we, and we can learn how to be more intersectional for ourselves, you know, for our own institutions, right, that we build. So I think it's really important. So you asked me, <laughs> I have a tendency to go like left field, <laughs> but um, yeah, so you asked me about myself. Um, so I am an assistant lecturer at the University of Toledo. Um, like I told you earlier before we're recording, um, I've been teaching on a college level for about like 10, 11 years. I started when I was 23 years old. Like that's wild. I started at Owens Community College teaching sociology and medical sociology actually, which is like, you know, really interesting. I would have never dreamed in a million years I would be teaching anything medical, but I do have like a medical sociology background. Um, and I actually published a, um, well, I worked on a um, book chapter with a few pharmacists and uh, physicians to talk about intersectionality in healthcare delivery, particularly in the area of pharmacy. So that's published in McGraw-Hill, which is like crazy. Um, so I have a doctorate in social foundation. So I study black women in the American dream. So I have some pretty 
exciting things coming up, um, especially with the nomination of Kamala Harris. I just feel like, yeah, it is time to really get my research out there because I've been working on a lot of different things, but then um, my company just kind of like took over. So um, I'm thinking this month, I'm gonna ha definitely have like some really awesome things um, cooking regarding my research because studying how black women define the American dream for themselves, getting that information out there, I feel like it is just so crucial. So right now I'm starting to collect all the articles I can on um, Kamala Harris and different impressions about her. A lot of people are bashing her about, you know, her um, criminal justice background as a prosecutor, um, which I feel, you know, we just kind of have to be careful because the same, because you can't dismantle, how does Audre Lorde say it? Um, dismantling the tools will never dismantle the master's house. <laughs> so, you know, how can you be for the movement and then, you know, using the same tools of oppression to, it's like, you know, you're messing your own self up basically, right? Um, so really just kind of like honing in on that conversation. That's kind of like where my focus has been. Um, and I teach a class called Multicultural Toledo, which I love. It's, um, it's definitely taught me a lot. It's definitely changed the way I approach teaching and pedagogy. It's basically like exploratory um, pedagogy. So the students, they go out into the Toledo community, different community centers, and they explore race, gender, class, like all of those intersections, right? Without me giving a long lecture on the topics. So it's been really, really interesting. Um, I had to have a lot of faith in um, teaching really is like an act of faith, right? Because you don't really know excuse me, if the students are going to get it. Um, but typically, when you're, when you're teaching about race, sometimes you might not even see the transformation way down the line. So that's why I want to encourage you or anybody that teaches um, on the topic of race, because I've had students where, I mean, they were a pain from the jump, right? And then Years down the line, I'll get an email and say, I finally get it, right? So when you talk about race, sometimes folks are not going to get it at all until one year, two years, five years, 10 years down the road. So we're really in it like for the long haul, like this is life work, right? And we kind of have to shift, you know, with the times. So how I identify, um, it really depends on the context. But obviously, I mean, using my social locations, I am a black woman. I am middle class. Um, I identify as a woman. Um, I am able-bodied. Um, and that was definitely something that I had to really think critically about um, because I grew up, um, I grew up with a lot of people in my family and in my community 
that were very um, against people who were disabled. Um, they were they were ableist, you know. So that and social class, those are the two things that I really had to work on and deconstruct, you know, my um, positionality with that. And you'd be surprised. There are a lot of people that when it comes to race, they get it. But when it comes to their own privilege and especially Christian privilege, okay, we don't want to go there, you know, <laughs> we don't want to go there. But, um, but when it comes to my Christian privilege, because I grew up in a very, um, like, um, very, I don't want to say ultra religious, because that, that, that's the way I describe it, but I don't think those are like the correct words, but it was like very dogmatic, right? Like my grandmother was the type of person, if you're a woman, you know, and if you're wearing pants, you're going to hell, okay? Um, I didn't go into a casino until I was like, what, 20 years old, because I thought I was going to hell. I mean, I literally thought like if I had like dice in my hands, God was gonna was gonna you know strike me down. You know, um, I grew up thinking that um, God was white and male. Once I started to deconstruct that, and I began to see how God lives within me. Like once I began to understand, like oh wow, like I look in the mirror and I see the face of God right and god as black and female that really transformed everything for me so critiquing and being aware of my christian privilege was a lot more easier for me because i saw how christianity was used as a weapon you know and i was never taught about god's grace at all right i was never taught about how, um, you know, the spirituality in the moon and the stars and in the sun and all that stuff. Like, I was never taught any of that. And then once I come to realize um, that spirituality is so much more, and I started to see value in a whole different varieties of religions, like Hinduism. Like, I love Hinduism. Like, oh my gosh, like, karma is my jam like i love talking about karma so and i live by karma i live by karma but you know if christians heard me say that they'll be like well you're going to hell like the christians that i'm around okay but again that's neither here or there but that but critiquing my christian privilege that was very easy for me um also seeing myself as an american um I don't really like to identify myself as an American, <laughs> even though I live in America and I benefit um, very greatly um, because of living here, um, you know, and then seeing myself in a global space, I think that is a privilege that I am constantly deconstructing um, all the time. But with my background in Africana studies, um, that became like easier um, along the line. So, but I always try to be mindful of that. And which is why I think I identify more with Africana womanism than I do black feminism because black feminism is really like situated in the context of Americanism. And that's kind of like the critique of U.S. Black feminism in that it's not global enough. Um, so Africana womanism, I think, really speaks to me. So um, 
And the scholars that I love, absolutely love, are Asada Shakur. I love her. I love Elaine Brown. Um, I feel like we don't give um, Harriet Tubman enough credit. It's just kind of like, oh, she freed the slaves and that was it. But it's like, do you know that she helped organize like the first black feminist, you know, organization ever? Like, um, and my favorite story, and one thing about dialogue I wanted to say, like black feminist dialogue and just teaching, um, whites about racism and this also works for all students really is that I love giving the backstory and I feel like whenever you're teaching about race sometimes in order for people to get it they need the backstory and the backstory gets people really excited so the backstory that I usually give when I build the case for why black feminism is so important is that um, my favorite story of Harriet Tubman is that when she was at the Combahe River and she freed like all these slaves, right? And so she was battling the Confederates. So she led a whole army. Like she is like, people don't understand. Like if you read the history of like Harriet Tubman, like what she actually did. So she's at the Combahe River and she describes a scene where there was like a boat taking off on the river. And then people, the, um, the, the former slaves or people challenged by slavery, sometimes I like, I don't like to say slaves because they're human beings, right? So you have all these black folks who were um, freed by Harriet Tubman. They're like jumping in the water, hanging onto the boat, like I'm trying to get the hell up out of here, you know? So, and then she says, and then someone asked her like, how do you feel about this whole situation? her response was i shouldn't have wore a green dress like who says that like you free like <laughs> hundreds of slaves you defeated the confederacy i mean left them running out of town running away from the river and you're like oh my dress wasn't right like if that doesn't give anybody life then i mean i don't know i just don't know what to tell you so, um, but it also just goes to show you that like, it's okay to be who you are. Like it's okay to do social justice work and be concerned about what you're wearing or, you know, I mean, I don't know, like people just kind of have this thing where like um, these figures are like, um, like statues, like they didn't have feelings or, you know what I'm saying? And for her to be like, oh, I wore a green dress and I shouldn't have wore a green dress is like, <laughs> Like, you know, I just feel like that's just like such an awesome story. So, and that's the reason why I didn't wear green to my defense. Cause I'm like, whenever I'm doing something great, I'm just gonna avoid wearing green. So I don't know. <laughs> I hope that answers your question. Oh, it did and, and much more. <laughs> Leave it to Carla, right? To Dr. Patton <laughs> to go through the whole personal and social identity will um, <laughs> with one question. Right, because that is the most thorough explanation of identity that I've received so far. And I think that stems from our previous conversation where you talk about intersectionality, right? Most people have only talked about being their, their gender and their race. They haven't really taught it and, and possibly um, able, you know, being able-bodied or not because of a previous topic, but 
we haven't explored religion. We haven't even talked about privilege yet. So you mm -hmm. introduced a lot of topics that um, will be explored later on that I'm definitely appreciative that you mentioned because that is what, like that is the foundation I believe that you need to have. You need to see yourself. You need to know where you, you identify to see where you have some holes, right? Mm -hmm. um, yes. And then, so like even in the family resource Facebook group mm -hmm. that I created, I have those two wills, the, the personal and social identity will, which is why I'm like, oh, she just hit all of these aspects, right? Because of academia and religion, race, um, but just like, just a location and class and, and everything like that. I think that's like the, the first step to get to do that internal work. So thank you for that. Um, Stay tuned for part two. Brave Space for Critical Conversations is a podcast under the Matching Peace brand. Matching Peace provides equity-centered education, training, and mentoring that focuses on horizontal co-learning with in institutions and between peer and family groups to enrich their overall well-being. You can follow Matching Peace on Facebook and Instagram under the username Matching Peace or subscribe to our newsletter at www.matchingpeace.org.